Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning. I'm Elliot Moss and this is Jazz Shapers. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Lydia Yarlock, co-founder of Forward Health, one of the UK's most exciting health tech startups. Wanting to be a doctor from aged 11, Lydia never saw herself in health tech. I just didn't believe things inside hospitals could be changed, she said, and certainly not by a junior doctor. The idea for Forward Health, an app that offers a secure communications platform for medical staff at work, came to Lydia as she was frustrated by how much time she was wasting trying to navigate switchboards or respond to her pager. She was also shocked that medical staff were communicating via WhatsApp, putting patient data at risk. With her husband Philip Mundy, a serial entrepreneur, and friend Dr Barney Gilbert, the trio founded Forward, now used in over 200 NHS hospitals and saving doctors and nurses over 30 minutes each day. That, of course, frees up thousands of hours that are going back into patient care. We'll be talking to Lydia in just a few minutes about embracing technology and listening to frontline staff. Also in Jazz Shapers today, we have brilliant music from the RH Factor, Art Pepper and Rodney Franklin. Before all of that, though, here's Jazz Shaper classic Stan Getz with Giorgio Berto and Corcovado. Quiet nights of quiet stars Quiet chords from a guitar Floating on the silence that surrounds us Quiet thoughts and quiet dreams Quiet walks by quiet streams And a window that looks out on Corcovado Oh, how lovely That was Stan Getz and Giorgio Alberto with Corcovado, and lovely it was too. As I said earlier, my business shaper today is Dr. Lydia Yarlot. She is with me here in session uh, until 10am, and we're going to be talking about her wonderful business, which she co-founded, called Forward Health. Hello. Hello. How are you? Very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It, it, quickly to say, obviously, you are a doctor, but you're a part-time doctor, which means you are allowed to be here, because you're not, you're not doctoring at the moment, evidently. I am allowed to be here and I feel like it's very important that I am. Um, there aren't many doctors who work part-time on a business. Um, I think it's a, a beautiful combination, actually. Um, medicine has many frustrations and it's one of the reasons why many of my peers have sadly left the profession. But I think having an outlet for that, feeling like you are actually doing something to change things, is amazingly galvanising for my, my clinical job as a doctor. I mean, what, what strikes me is obviously that, that, that medicine, like other professions, is one that w- most people are called into, as it were. And I know, and I said it earlier, you, you from a very young age wanted to be a doctor. First question, where did that calling come from, do you think? Why? Why did you want to be a doc? That's a really interesting question. And I think it's one that scares everybody when they go for their medical school interviews because honestly most people don't have a good answer to that it's a very instinctive thing being interested in the body being fascinated by perhaps slightly morbid things like disease ill health death 
I remember reading a rather gruesome book when I was about six called Dr. Dog about this terrible family. They're called the Gumbo family and they've all got worms or head lice, etc. Finding it very exciting. And it was really from there that my fascination with medicine grew. I feel very lucky to have that vocation. Um, I think it's a great advantage in life to know where you're headed. Um, and I just feel very privileged that despite the system providing a lot, a lot of difficulties for doctors, a lot of frustrations, I have a way of uh, dealing with that myself and doing what I've always wanted to do. Now, the other thing, of course, is if you're a doctor or if you're a, any professional, it's quite hard to think outside of delivering that thing that you do. Most doctors, as you, you know, we started by saying, uh, don't do other things. Most doctors are not part-time and, mm -hmm. and they're good at um, medicinal things. They're good at looking after people, hopefully, and their well, bedside manner is, I suppose, variable, but they're at least expert <laughs> in... <laughs> we've all had different experiences with doctors over the years. We know they know their stuff, but they don't always necessarily know how to, to deal with the human, but that, there you go, that's the same for any profession. But for you... The entrepreneurial bit, it sounds to me like you saw a problem and you couldn't believe no one else had tried to fix it rather than you being a kind of an out-and-out -out entrepreneur going, I know what I'm going to do. Is that yes, fair? Yes, I never expected to be doing this. I never expected to be doing something like talking to you today. Um, but I am the sort of person that can't ignore issues in front of my nose. And the idea of not being able to get in contact with someone when you really need them when there's an urgent clinical situation someone's deteriorating in front of you and all you have is this bleep a pager system to get that help that you need is just mad um so i couldn't ignore that and i was lucky enough to meet philip and barney who uh we've executed this together and without them it would never have happened Tell me about, so this identification of the problem, tell me about what it took for someone who's at that point, I imagine, in full-time medicine to then go, I want to set this thing up. And I've never done that before. And now I need to know what the first and the second and the third things are, let alone the 58th and the 4,000th. Where did you begin? I think firstly with the conviction that this was a real problem. So we talk to as many doctors and healthcare professionals as we can. And this is just to be clear, this is a problem for everybody in healthcare. It's not just a problem for doctors and clinicians. And uh, we, we tried to work out, you know, what the extent and magnitude of, of that problem was. And we found that it was pretty much everywhere. Everybody was resorting to using workarounds, other instant messages, getting people's phone numbers so they could call them on their, on their private phones. But essentially very inefficient means of communication. So... We, at that point, understood that it wasn't just my problem that I was coming home to, to Philip with. But Philip is an, an amazing person because he believes that something can go from a naught to a one and knows how to get it from a naught to a one. So we got Barney on board fairly quickly. We essentially tried to find out as as much as we could about what was out there in, in the market at the moment, um, and it turned out almost nothing. So we built something that we felt that would really help us at work, and we tested it in my hospital, we tested it with friends and colleagues, and 
I think from that point onwards, we couldn't really stop because it was so clear that everybody wanted this. I think we almost felt like we had this obligation to continue. And Philip and I always talk about forward like as if we had a child. Because <laughs> actually a business is, is a responsibility just like having children is. Um, and I think we really felt that right from the beginning that perhaps we were the people that could solve communication in healthcare and we had a duty to play that out to see if that was true. And in terms of the actual product, how did you go about thinking, well, it's going to look like this, it's going to feel like that, this is the functionality? I mean, you're not a techie, mm-hmm. um, though you are a consumer, as are we all, and we all know whether we like WhatsApp or whether we like Instant Messenger or whether we like email or Slack or whatever it might be. Mm. Was that bit actually not that complicated? Or was there were there specific things that within the medical environment you just had to have um, in place? I think um, the answer to that question is that it's an ongoing process, right? You've, you've never finished iterating your product and we're doing that constantly. But in those early stages, it was about just keeping it as simple as we could. And that's the thing. We're really starting from scratch with communication. So people need to find each other. They need to be able to look at each other up by job role. They need to know which hospital you're in and they need to be able to share information about a patient securely. So that was it. It was an instant messenger with a kind of map of who you might need in that hospital and how to get in contact with them via instant messaging or via calling them. And then ways of sharing information about a patient over that platform. It's very simple concept. Um, and I think if you aren't aware of what the situation is like currently, it might seem like, why, why would this ever take off? Why would we need it? It's because the current situation is, is so dysfunctional. I, I do remember, just as a quick anecdote, when um, my wife had our child... About six years ago, there was a moment when we realised that the labour had moved on a little bit quicker than we thought and the nurse couldn't locate the doctor. Yeah. There was that moment. I've now It's now come flooding back to me and I was like, well, do you want me to go and find him? It literally <laughs> got to that point and then she tootled off and he, he turned up. But yes, I can see that we're at a pretty basic level. We were then and I suppose anything on top of that sounds like it would actually transform people's lives. And was your wife okay? She's fine. <laughs> and little Iris is six years old and is none the wiser. Stay with me for more from my guest, Dr Lydia Yarlett. She'll be back in a couple of minutes uh, here on Jazz Shapers. But first we're going to hear from one of our partners at Mishkondorea, and they've got some advice for your business. Hello, I'm Kate Higgins from the corporate department at Mishkondorea. One of the key issues facing our business clients is how to achieve the long-term success and prosperity of their business whilst dealing with the day-to-day needs of running the business. One method of achieving this is to have in place a sound system of corporate governance. It's widely accepted that having a sound system of corporate governance can help achieve long-term success. And this is an area where we work closely with our clients. It's a good idea to set it at an early stage and then reassess as the business grows. So what is sound corporate governance? Well, helpfully, there is new guidance in the form of the weights principles for corporate governance, and these apply to private companies. There are two main areas on which the weights principles focus. 
The first, which I'm going to talk about today, is about a suitable board structure. Making sure that you have a wide range of diverse talent on your board is key. Putting in place adequate training for your board members and ensuring there is independent challenge, perhaps with a non-executive director, can also assist. Finally, it's important to document the procedures that you have in place so everyone is clear about them. Using the weights principles is advisable and now would be a good time for companies to see how they measure up. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. There are many ways for you to enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed to hear this programme with the doc again. I'm going to stop doing this, I promise, shortly. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can hear many of the recent programmes. If you pop Jazz Shapers into iTunes or Spotify or Deezer or whatever platform you like to use, you can enjoy the full archive. But back to today's guest, it's Lydia Yarlock, the doc, co-founder of Forward Health, an app which helps uh, medics easily and quickly contact each other. And I said medics and you said before, this is not just between doctors, this is anyone in that profession and of course the reality is that hospitals are big very big generally here in the UK Uh, we're incredibly lucky to have um, a phenomenal NHS but obviously as you alluded to things have to change transformation in medical equipment transformation in technology that we use has yet to hit the most obvious place which is how we connect with each other exactly I mean I'm embedded in the NHS and I love it as an organisation. I feel it's an amazing privilege to treat anybody who walks in through the door free at the point of care. That's so rare in the world. And other systems actually really look up to our healthcare system. But we'd be astonished if we were still using the same medications, the same medical equipment as we used in the 1960s but we're still using the same equipment to communicate, Mm. the pager, the landline, the bleep. It's extraordinary. Now, the the, the business, and I'm going to talk about it as a business, I know we're dealing with healthcare, but in in reality you're running a business now. The CEO roles, as it were, are done by, I think, Philip and Barney, and there's a team of people, and you're funded to the tune of around, I think, £3 million or so. Um, You were on the GovStart 2018 programme. I had Daniel and Alex, the founders of Public, which was the the, the creators of GovStart. You've done really well. People are noticing this, and it's a big big area for government uh, and a big focus for them in terms of changing the way that, that, that medical services are delivered. What's it like being part of a business as well as being a a practicing paediatrician? Exciting, because on the shop floor, technology has not reached me. So I'm still writing on paper. I'm still logging into eight different, very clunky IT systems to do my clinical job. But there is this ecosystem emerging of health tech which is so exciting. And the things we could do with AI if we actually collected data in a sensible way, the things we could do with with wearables are incredible. But my belief is we won't get there until we have the infrastructure right. The exciting thing, as you alluded to, is that people are getting invested, literally and metaphorically, in health technology now. So people will fund businesses like ours because they believe that we're solving an important problem and that that's going to be valuable in the future. And I think as a doctor, that gives me so much, that's so heartwarming for for me. 
um, because I know that the organisation is going to have to change to survive and I want to be part of that. I want to be on the crest of, of that mm. wave, shaping it in the best interests of the patients that I look after, genuinely. And how many people are involved in the business now? Yeah, so um, we have 15 in our office in London, which is really exciting. We have um, a community team who look after our users, um, make sure that we're doing what they want with the product. Um, we have a product team and we have an engineering team. Wow, it's all happening. And in terms of um, turning a profit, I'm assuming that's not happening just yet. How actually do you do you charge for this? How does it work? Do you charge the, the local NHS trust, as it were? So we don't, because we believe that healthcare professionals should have the tools that they need to do the job. Mm. So we, we operate a premium model. If trusts or hospitals want extra services that we offer, then they can pay for those. But the truth is that we are not revenue generating at the moment and we're focusing entirely on learning from our users, on growing our network, on really embedding ourselves in healthcare within the UK and moving out from there. Um, and that's what's exciting our investors at the same time. They want to learn and they're going to have lots of data to do it and then hopefully one day you'll work out the financials. We'll come back to that in a moment. Stay with me for much more. I'm with Lydia Yarlot and we're talking about healthcare and forward health specifically. Time for music right now. It's Art Pepper with Mambo Koyama. was Art Pepper with Mambo Koyama. Dr Lydia Yarlett's my business shaper. We've been talking about how the transformation in the provision of medical services has to be important, is important, because as you you've quite rightly said, uh, you can't expect, if medication's changed since the 60s and if the equipment's changed since the 60s, then surely the way that people communicate in huge organisations like the NHS is, is critical. We've talked a little bit about your, your team how involved are you in the in the management? If you're, obviously, you're not the co-CEOs and all that stuff, but do you have some day-to-day -day involvement with the direction the team is taking? And if so, how does that work when you've got Philip and Barney in the picture as well? Yeah, so it's a communication challenge. I but, bet it um, is. <laughs> one of our goals for the beginning of this year was actually to, to make communication within our organisation our main priority. And I think if we're propagating that elsewhere... We have to start from within and that applies to everything. So I try and keep the company very uh, clinically focused, very focused on the problem. And my role is really to advocate the patient and the healthcare professional within Forward Health. I've alluded to the fact that I believe that grassroots innovation by the people who actually understand the problem is the way for healthcare to really improve. And I'd like to see more doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals starting companies and solving problems. And that's beginning to happen, actually, which is really exciting. 
And in terms of the the profession itself, which is um, you know a rule bound profession, a, a process bound profession because it needs to be because we want our doctors to follow procedures and checklists mm-hmm. and things. We don't want you know uh, scissors left in the wrong place. We don't want the wrong bits chopped up and so on and so forth. How have they been with you? How have your management been with you? Uh, your line managers and the various powers that be with this notion that you are there making change for for, for the better and still holding down a job as a paediatrician? Have they been encouraging? Is it patchy? Does it depend on the human being? Well, I work in a specialty that's very forward thinking. So paediatrics really looks towards the future. And Great Ormond Street are doing some really interesting things with innovation, pushing technology um, in a way that it hasn't been been pushed before. So I'm I'm lucky in that respect. As I said, there is a changing landscape in terms of how the NHS thinks about bringing in technology, bringing in small businesses to work with, working with startups. You know, when we started, it was almost discouraged for a large organisation to work with a tiny organisation like ours. You know, they had no guarantee that we would exist in a few months' time. Um, But now there are incentives for hospitals to learn from the best, to to bring in businesses to work with and and to test whether they're effective or not. And that's really exciting. Stay with me for my final chat with Lydia Yarlett. Plus, we'll be playing a track from Rodney Franklin. That's all coming up in just a moment here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Rodney Franklin with The Groove. And you can't not but like that. And you kind of know where it's going to go. And it goes to a really good place, doesn't it, Lydia? It does. (laughs) Um, Lydia um, is with me for a little bit longer. We've been talking about uh, transformation in in the world of healthcare and the like. And you have, as you've said yourself, you've managed to carry on practising. You you want grassroots feedback into a product because otherwise you've got other people kind of coming to this world without any sense of what it's really like and Mm -hmm. what you need. It strikes me that when you've got this cracked, and that may take a few more iterations and a few more years, and financial, we men- I mentioned the financial thing, and in a way, the finances I hope will work themselves out. There will be a way of doing this where it will be paid for and so on and so forth. There are going to be other things that you want to focus on and fix. Mm-hmm. I don't believe this is going to be your only thing. Not because you're your classic entrepreneur, but because you're a problem solver and you love the medicine, the world of hospitals and patients. Am I right? You are right, but. I love to do that. I never that, hear you know? that, by the way. That I never get you are right. That's, I will <laughs> no, stop there. No, you're right. I already, I knew I liked you. <laughs> but I think I enjoy doing that in partnership with other people yeah. who really share that belief. And if I were to do something different beyond this, it would have to be with the right partner. And as I say, I'm, I'm so grateful to Philip and Barney for pushing this in, in ways that I'm not capable of pushing it. When when you did start doing this with Philip, was were you already married, or did you have you been married subsequently? No, and it's sort of part of the love story. Really, we were dating. We'd only been dating for a few months, and I just loved this attitude that I didn't have to grin, grit my teeth, and 
bear this problem, that we could do something about it. It's very frustrating in some ways. You know, you don't necessarily want everything that you're complaining about to have a solution from your partner. As one of the, it's, it's the real, one of the real bugbears, isn't it? But um, as in, you don't. Sometimes you just want to tell them. Sometimes what the problem you just is. want, you don't some want an answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just like, oh, I understand. I know yes. it's much easier. Don't, no, no, don't really want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the, the honest truth is, um, at the beginning, I didn't believe him when he said, I, I think we can do something about this, because I knew what the blockers would be mm. in the NHS. I mean, it's hard to convey what a novel concept it is to put patient data on your own device. Mm. So that is that is utterly secure. Nothing's ever stored there. It's all in, in NHS-approved cloud servers. But it's still the concept yeah. that you're bringing your phone to work and you're, you're using it for that purpose. And to a lot of people, when we started out, that just seemed ridiculous. But did they understand? Was it a highly intense period of education? Say, no, no, you can see it, but it's sitting over here and it's safe and this is encrypted and this is compliant and so on and so forth. Was it literally just taking people through the steps? Because I imagine there's no other way of doing it. Yes, to some extent. Um, but what, was the cl- I think... what was the clincher, though, in terms of education? Because <laughs> ma- the point behind this is actually a big and serious one. Mm, it Re- is. Resistance in any conventional organisation, whether it's three people big or 300,000 people big, is typical, part one. And part two is how do you then educate people around something which really breaks boundaries? Mm. So what, what was the killer app, as it were, from your point of view, to help educate people who were uh, intrinsically resistant? This is a really interesting question. There are many answers to this. But I guess I'd start with um, the fact that clinicians were already using WhatsApp. Um, so that isn't safe. It's it's not secure. There's a real kind of misperception about whether it can or cannot be used for patient data in the NHS. The guidelines are very fuzzy. But it did present this immediate problem that that's what clinicians were doing and therefore that really needed to be solved. And I think in a way... That went some way to educating the market that something was needed to replace that. So WhatsApp helped mm. helped us um, start trying to change how, how people communicate. So there was a kind of there was, a, there was a, a reference point with WhatsApp, and that helped get over the barrier of well, this we think this could work, but it doesn't. So here's something else that does. Was there anything else you needed to do to clinch the deal so that if I was you and you were, you know I'm talking to a doctor who's not going to buy me there was there something that you worked out that if you said or if you showed them and if you comforted them on their worry, then you could get over the hump. Was the main thing about privacy? It's different for everyone. So whether you're going to a hospital manager or a doctor or a nurse, they would have a, a different question before they decided to download and use forward. And that's one of our major challenges. But I suppose the underlying principle is trust. People in my clinical practice tell me their darkest secrets, their worst fears. Patient data is, is the most enormously serious topic. And I think as an organisation, it's key, it's crucial that we embed trust in what we do. So um, that involves working very closely with NHS organisations so that they are confident that what we're doing is correct. 
Um, it involves working closely with patients so they understand, you know, the need for doctors to communicate amongst themselves and, and talk about um, them to get the information that different clinicians need for that purpose. You know, medicine is more and more complex. You used to go into hospital and you'd be treated by, like, one doctor mm. in a ward. And now um, there might be sort of 10 doctors in a team and then there's another team looking after you as well because you need a specialist. There's nurses, there's physios, there's occupational therapists. Um, and then, obviously, it's about um, approaching doctors and asking them what they're doing at the moment to communicate, you know, re-educating them about how and when they should be using which technology because we're somewhat under-educated as a profession in that respect. So um, it sounds like it's a combination of things, but it also sounds like to me if that's the code, then the answer to my question is yes, you will be. You will be doing other things, hopefully, in the future. When you've had, when you've obviously got this under control and it's growing fast, and there'll be other things looking forward into the into the other areas that might need approaching and fixing. Yes, I'm I'm, I'm setting you up to, to <laughs> go and fix the rest. Of the but listen, well, that's I, very generous of you. But I think um, I, I feel I feel like you can, and I'm and we're gonna I'm gonna watch you, Lydia, as you go forward with uh, whether it's with Philip and and Barney, whether it's with another group of people as well. We're gonna have to wrap things up. It's been fascinating talking to you. Thank, thank you. you so much, and thank really you. really good luck because it's a it's a kind of there's a there's a social purpose in there as well as a, um, a business one. But it is about applying great business principles, isn't it, into an environment which hasn't probably seen them before, at least mm. in this area. Just before I let you go, though, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? I chose Soweto Blues. It's a song about a struggle, really. It's quite hard-hitting. I really love African music. I've spent some time doing a small amount of medicine in Africa, and that's when I discovered this song. And it's with Miriam McCabe, Hugh Masakela, and Stanley Kwesi Todd. That was Soweto Blues with Miriam McCabe, Hugh Masakela and Stanley Kwesi Todd, the song choice of my business shaper, Dr Lydia Yarlot. She was at heart a problem solver, someone who was identifying issues and wanting to fix them. Someone who understood the power of transformation and how important it would be to an organisation and is important to an organisation like the NHS. And really interestingly, I thought, someone who was clear about the level of the task of getting over those barriers to finding out how people would actually buy into the new way of communicating that she's advocating within the NHS. And I'm sure this isn't the last we'll hear of Dr Lydia Yarlett in terms of fixing other problems in the NHS. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers.